March 1st, 2023. Let's continue in Moreh Nebuchim. If you recall, the last time we met, we were talking about, or we were continuing a conversation about Kedushah, we kind of veered into the context of Tum'ah. And if you recall specifically, the way Harambam described Tum'ah, there it is, no? The way Harambam described Tum'ah, at least the part that we were focused on specifically, um, is that this was and is a mechanism of the Torah to keep us with a certain awe, a certain respect, an honor for Makom HaMikdash. Fundamentally, Tum'ah and Tahara in many of the domains that are existent in the Torah are effective specifically in the context of eating from Kodashim, from matters that are deemed and considered Kedush Kadosh, and uh, entrance into the Mikdash. You're not allowed to if you're Tameh. So specifically, um, Tum'ah and Tahara are relevant, Harambam suggested, in order to strengthen within each of us a certain awe of the Mikdash, which in turn, even though he didn't spell it out explicitly, that gives a certain awe and inspiration with regards to our approach and understanding of God himself. I wanted to, a little bit, uh, along the same lines, what it uh, called to mind uh, in talking about that idea of a mechanism to distance ourselves. In other words, a mitzvah, or more specifically, a reality that the Torah is describing, which is purposed not for an inherent meaning to a certain extent that Tum'ah injected something even metaphysical to your body, but rather its purpose is specifically to do something, to bring you to something. It brought to mind Harambam's description and understanding of the Arayot. The Torah, of course, in Parashat Haremot specifically, talks about the many women and relations between man and woman which are forbidden. And there's never an explicit reason given by the Torah um, with regards to why these are prohibited. Uh, why these women? Why not other women? What underlies these prohibitions? Many of them, most of them, familial relations. Now, what is clear, it's in Vayikra Perek Yot is that the Torah describes it as the ways of the Emori. It describes it as the ways of the nations who worship Avodah Zarah. The Pasuk says, uh, you will not be spit out if you follow these laws by the land, if you follow the ways of those nations in Tum'ah activities. Again, Tum'ah being the name of the game in that context as well. Uh, but what is it about Arayot, about the Isur, the prohibition of the Torah with regards to familial relations, even when they're sometimes somewhat distant? Is there an underlying principle? Is there a reason for it? Uh, that's what I'd like to address. I'd like to, at the same time, recall, remind ourselves of a general perspective with which, for all intents and purposes, Harambam opened the more with in order to give us a certain perspective throughout, so to speak, um, in describing our origins, um, uh, in turn telling us what we're headed toward, what we should be striving for in the opening passage in the More, which should be reminded from, uh, we should remind ourselves of from time to time. Harambam over there described the existence prior to the eating from Etzadat 
as a life wherein the mind was somewhat perfect, where emet and sheker, objective truths, were our, um, our direction, our way through life. Uh, eating from the tree, the decision to eat from the tree, the entrance into the real world as we know it of humanity, of civilization, is that tovenra reality, if you recall, which took away, it diminished from a, a perfect intellect. It takes away from our ability to focus and understand uh, reality as it uh, truly is, and be able to have an understanding of the finer truths of life. And that's, to a certain extent, the direction of the book. The book is, in turn, not only, but primarily leading us through, in different ways, in and out of them, uh, to finding that ability to have a mind which does perceive and understand properly. It's, of course, in that context that we'll need to as well bring up prayer in the eyes of Harambam, where someone might make the claim, medieval scholars might make the claim, that prayer is a certain inherent potency, Harambam will have nothing of it. It'll have something, we'll have to read it specifically, having to do with a mindful activity, a mindful perception and connectedness, very much in line with that. It'll bring us into conversations as well with regards to prophecy. What is prophecy for Harambam? Is it something out of the norm or is it alternatively stripping away what is the norm, the life as you and I know with the indulgence in this world activities in order to focus properly and so to speak tap into emet and sheker. It's along that line that we've really been, although we haven't highlighted this and reminded ourselves of this throughout, that's what we've really been noticing throughout. Every time he talked about Kedushah, every time he described for us that there's no per, per se inherent sanctity to the object, place, or time, what he's really been describing to us is it's rather an opportunity or better, a responsibility from the Torah for us uh, to remove ourselves from X and focus properly on Y. Lashon HaKodesh is the easiest example. There's not something inherent about the language. It's rather a language which has us speaking less crassly. We don't speak about wrongful matters. Our mind, in turn, is focused on more pristine, proper things. And bringing us through each of the descriptions that we had with regards to Kedushah up to last week. Last week we talked about Tum'ah. Tum'ah is, again, fundamentally to bring us more distant in our minds and bodies from the Mikdash, which means that I have more of a yearning for it. It means that my mind is, in turn, more focused on God. The fact that I can't enter whenever I want means I don't become conditioned to it. It means that I properly am able to focus. I'm forced to contemplate what it means to enter into a relationship with God, to understand His involvement uh, in one way or another in this world and in my life. Uh, that's the direction I think that Harambam has been. It's been an undercurrent, but that's what he's been leading us through throughout this book in each of our conversations. That brings us again to, for our purposes tonight, the Arayot. The Arayot, again, these prohibited relations. So I want to begin with this paper. We're going to go on and off of the paper. Go ahead. In, in summary, is, is, is the question around Arayot whether or not I'm, I'm, opening, I'm opening this carte blanche. Arayot, Vayikra, Perek Yod Chet, Isure Arayot. Lots of Pesukim, over 30, that describe the prohibited relations. What's the reason? Let's do it that way. That's really what I want to do. Is there a reason? Can we pinpoint and in turn appreciate that description in the Torah? Man and others, but by extension, man and wife, if she's a nida, if that's considered arayot, we won't really address that. Harambam does. 
we're really talking about man and woman uh, when it's a prohibited woman. That chapter will describe your mother-in-law and your sister and your daughter and your sister-in-law and so on and so forth. Even those who are a little bit more than your aunt and your grand and so on and so forth. That will be that will be in turn the conversation. Sure. It's mentioned. No, it's mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Says the Gemara. Says the. In other words, your question is: you would never even think about it. Yeah, yeah. That that'll be, by the way, the question on Harambam. Ironically, in other words, if you know where we're going. Okay, the Gemara Masechet Yoma here in the first source. It's a somewhat well-known Gemara. This is the statement of the rabbis with regards to. I'm sure you've heard. I'm sure you've talked about it. Uh, whether in the right context or otherwise, the difference between hukim and mishpatim. No simple distinction. Um, it takes a lot of studying in order to really pinpoint when the Torah describes something as a hulk and otherwise. I've heard people who are quite knowledgeable, a lot more than me, uh, with regards to Torah terminology descriptions, who struggle nonetheless here and there with why is this a hulk, why is this a mishpat. The irony, of course, is unless you have a proper understanding of it, that this chapter, and Norman has opened to it, begins with a pasuk which describes et mishpatai ta'asu vet hukotai tishmeru, or tishmoru, it's in Vayikra Perikot Chet Pasuk Dalit. So somehow, both mishpat and hok. Mishpat means a law, a hok is also. So, I don't know yet. We'll read the rabbi's rendition of it. So, the rabbi's description of mishpat is something which, even if it weren't written in the Torah, it didn't need to be written. You would have known to write it in your own book. In other words, it's, you might call it, in some way or another, natural law. It's something that you couldn't imagine existence without it. Ve'eluhen, the Gemara, as a matter of fact, gives examples. Wait, I read very quickly the second one. That means that the arayot, the prohibited relations of the Torah, again, the very pasuk that we're referring to is from the chapter which describes the arayot, which, is, which should be noted. But one of the several examples, together with murder, thievery, and cursing God's name, uh, idolatry is it begs the question it already gives you a perspective rabbinically speaking that has some easily understandable reason you should know about this of course you would have written this anyway what's the word Norman is it tishmeru tishmeru devarim meshiv these are the ones that so to speak you have a drive the Gemara calls it a satan uh, which will um, make a claim against it which means wrongful thought means you'll be challenged to appreciate these mitzvot ve'eluhen uh, for example achilat hazir not eating from a pig levishat sha'atnez not wearing uh, linen and uh, and uh, and wool, the halitzat yevama, the mitzvah of halitza, the reality of halitza instead of a leveret marriage, the taharat mesor. These are hokim. Taharat mesora, and the way in which, of course, a reference to para aduma, a person who has leprosy is uh, purified. V'sair hamishtaleach is the goat which is sent away on. Kippur, v'shemet omar, maybe you'll be tempted to say about that latter list of uh, mitzvot, ma'aseh tohu hem, uh, they seem to be silly uh, actions, 
Talmud Lomar, that's why the Pasuk concludes, Ani Amonai, Ani Amonai, Hekaktim, Ve'en Lecharishut Leharher Bahen, I have curved them, I've established them, that's Lahakok, and in turn you have no right Leharher Bahen, to ponder them. Of course, those words at the end, like the question was, I mean, it means there is no reason that human beings could grasp. That is a strand of thought. It's Rashi's strand of thought, it appears to be. Harambam explicitly in the More, uh, I quote as a matter of fact in Source 5, which we'll get to, uh, makes clear, I don't give you the whole quote, which is the part that I'm referring to, in the More, in Hele Gimal, in Perekathav, that that's not the way Hukim work. There's a widespread notion, he writes, that Hukim are no reason, just do them. His suggestion instead is that Hukim have difficult reason perhaps to discern. That's his take on it. It means, and that's, and that's the way he reads in turn this Midrash as well. Okay, and, but it doesn't mean that you won't figure it out. It doesn't mean, and that's not ironic, it's kind of cool and relieving. According to Harambam, you and I, whether, I actually know it, I'm not wiser than Moshe Rabbeinu. I can nonetheless perhaps appreciate certain matters that he couldn't. Why so? While I'm looking at thousands of years of history and in turn all sorts of different realities which have developed and able to, no, and able to... Oh, I don't, I'm saying potentially, or his generation. In other words, there could have been a very wise person back. I'm not saying Moshe didn't per se. I can tell you the Midrash, which Harambam quotes, is that Shilomo HaMelech understood it all except for Efa Paraduma. In other words, it's a description why Shilomo per se. I think over passage of time, like anything else, as things develop, we have an appreciation for something that was truthful and in context, you couldn't necessarily appreciate it. You're in the desert, you can't necessarily appreciate the reality of this command. It'll take time, it'll take civilization, it'll take uh, movement in order to come to appreciation. But most significant, although all important and interesting, is mentioned in this Gemara, in this Beraita, in source number one, that Gilui Arayot would fall under the umbrella of those sorts of commandments which you and I should we should easily expect, we should easily assume, which of course begs the question, why so? They should be known to you from societal realities. From just living in this world, you should know Giluya Arayot is a problem. So Harambam here in Chelek Gimal in Perek Memtet of the Moreh addresses this on page 642 here in the Schwartz edition on the bottom paragraph, Isur Ha'arayot. The prohibition from, again, uh, illicit um, wrongful relations. Kol inyano, it's interesting, he initially calls it kol inyano, its entire matter. Uh, you should know that in just a few paragraphs from now, he'll say, by the way, there's another reason for this. Okay, regardless, I'm not sure exactly how to explain why he does that, but he begins and he says, Kol inyano, it's entire, I, I guess the other reason is kind of a derivative of this, but okay. Kol inyano lema'et b'mishkal. Its purpose is to distance us from relations, from sexual relations, period. Mm-hmm. It's not per se that that woman is worse to you because of that relation, because of the familial that's relation. Your, that's, your, uh, that's how he's going to, that's what he's uh, getting to. In, in matters of your own life. Certainly. He will, at the conclusion of all of this, at the the conclusion of all of this, what Harambam will will tell us is he'll quote it both from the Torah and the rabbis and from Aristotle as well, that even with regards to relations with your own wife, 
you, you should not, and it's in a, you know, it's, it's reminiscent, ironically, of Ramban Nachmani's words in a different perspective. The beginning of Parashat Kedoshim, when he talks about what he calls a naval b'rshuta Torah. You can be a person who properly adheres to all the mitzvot, all the averot, but nonetheless is a gluttonous uh, individual. You're constantly involved with relations with your wife when she's not a nida, and you're drinking wine, the finest wine, with the best kashrut, but that's what you spend your life doing, and eating the greatest meats, but constantly indulging in the pleasures of this world, you kind of missed the point. Arambam will suggest, and is already, that the concept that underlies the arayot is such that the Torah is looking, God was looking as it were, to distance us from overindulgence and involvement in relations. He will suggest, and we can kind of I got it, I got it. That, that was, for that, we needed the introduction. For that, we kind of can understand that. The more, and this I think is tr- true and tested, the more you and I involve ourselves in indulgence, in involvement in materialism, the less ability we have to focus on higher level matters. It's, it's a reality. Less ability or less interest, or less motivation, or less... Ability. I think one and the same. This is consistent with this whole balance. Sure. I think one and the same. Uh, define accordingly. The less we will, okay, let's say it like that, the less we will refine our thoughts. And as a result, yes, uh, what he'll describe as um, the sense of touching, which he includes in that eating and drinking, he'll quote this from Aristotle, and sexual involvement is something that we are supposed to, according to Harambam, distance ourselves from. That does not mean go to an extreme of absolute asceticism. That's very clear. The Torah commands us in Peru Urvu. The Torah has appropriate marital relations and so forth. That's, he is close to it. There is no questioning that. He is close to it, closer than you'll find from other Jewish thinkers. Again, for an individual like Harambam, so influenced by Torah, but Aristotelian sort of thought, if the mind is at the forefront of our drive, it makes sense that he's going to, in turn, be nervous about such encounters and engagements. But that's the purpose. What does it have to do with the arayot? We're supposed to be uh, caused by the Torah's prohibitions of the arayot to hate um, uh, involvement with uh, uh, sex and, um, and only to involve the me'at mizir, a minuscule amount. Isur zacharu darur me'od. In turn, he begins with homosexual relations, bestiality. Uh, those are very clear, he says. Im sanu lavo b'derech ha-teva ila l'tzorech al ha-hat kama v'chama shelo b'derech ha-teva l'vakesh v'kana'a. He says, if even in a natural fashion, l'tzorech, in order to reproduce, it should be something we're distanced from. So, all the more so if it's not going to be purposeful. The only purpose of it will be for en- engagement in uh, indulgence, uh, enjoyment. I enjoy that encounter with the animal or with, uh, with a, a male and male. In that circumstance, you've, you have a double negative on you, right? In other words, you have not only should you be distanced in general, but over here there's no purposeful direction. That's a fascinating statement, of course, because for all the descriptions and, 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 uh, and, and, and public uh, uh, callings of how the Torah describes Mishkav Zahur as to'ivah, as this abomination, Faharambam, 
yeah, shouldn't be involved with it, and I understand he'll tell you why it's worse than any other engagement. But not per se because there's a poison that's injected in that context, but rather because it's further inappropriate engagement in sexual relations. Nothing more and nothing less. That's not to diminish, but it is to appropriately appreciate this. Lechol ha'arayot mikerev hanashim meshutaf, mikrav hanashim meshutaf inyan echad, vehu, sheberov rubam, as Norman said a moment ago, shel hamikrim kol echad mehen mesuya tamid im ha'ish beveto. He says the vast majority, if not all of the arayot that will be described in terms of close familial uh, relations, uh, those are going to be the people whom you will be most around. Even in today's day and age when we don't live in family homes necessarily aside from deal. Uh, even though, even in today's day and age, uh, there are family meals, especially our community could very much appreciate this. The fact that families, grandparents, aunts, uncles are getting together in such a, uh, such a common, uh, common occurrence, if these are permitted relations, it would potentially become a reality which was just making more normal and more consistent sexual encounters. That's it. That's the description according to Harambam. Furthermore, since it's so regular, a judge looking to discern was there wrongful encounters? Was there, um, he's not addressing per se ish et ish, but was there ish? It'll be, it'll be much more difficult. There'll be a lot more promiscuity. Uh, we're just kind of together all the time. And as a result, we were able to do this. If the laws of, again, erva, the forbidden relations, were like a, a single woman, is that you're allowed to get married, the only issue would be the fact that she's not your wife. We could and would imagine a society, a world where people would fall prey to this consistently. They would be involved in this constantly. I don't know the answer to the history or the sociology or anthropology with regards to this. What about cultures where they don't have such laws? Is this, is incest so rampant? I don't know the answer, and if the answer is no, well, that's interesting. I, you know, how would Halambam explain that? Did the Torah per se need to safeguard it? Maybe it wasn't going to be a reality anyway. Again, but that's establishing that if it's from the category of a mishpat, society came to, may have come to that conclusion that it's independently. Wrong. Interesting. Is because it's a mishpat, because no, of this logic. No, because of this logic. Yeah. No, he's not saying the guy off the street's gonna say it. He's gonna say the reason it developed as such was because there was some sort of kind of understanding anywhere. Or and, and he's saying Haram Bam would say that. that we want to try oh, to not make so accessible. But usually in life, when, 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 you, when, when humans, let's say, do something that is inherently wrong, usually there's a rush before the action, and then after the action there is some guilt. 
But again, but, yeah, but what's the inherently wrong here? So, so, so what's it? Right, so Sammy's accepting that for whatever reason, let's say it's because of hierarchy and family, etc., whatever it is, society, in other words, my question, he's addressing my question, Sam, right? In other words, my question was, I don't know that you'll find this in societies where they didn't have a Torah. I said, that's right, for another reason. And that's the way Harambam will tell you, potentially, that that Gemara, which says it's a Mishpat, for another reason. Says Harambam, I think this is the reason the Torah was getting gross. Any and every society might have a different reason, but ultimately speaking, that won't bother him, the fact that this is not rampant in that society. He'll say, that's right, there are other logics and other reasons for why to distance this. However, this is, so to speak, the God-given one, in his mind. Okay, he continues. He's that's, that's very much what he's doing. He's suggesting. He's suggesting. He's suggesting. Sure. How often does, God, does the Torah refer to something as both Mishpat and That's a good question. I'm not certain. It's not the only place. Right. It is ironic that this is the place specifically, and this is a point that I discovered years ago in a book by Rabbi Achanan Samet, who wrote several books on the parashah. I, I read it before I came here, so I should be able to say the answer to that, but I don't know. Um, but uh, I read it again before I came here. He, he makes a point, and, and we'll see this, we'll touch upon this quickly at the end, that elsewhere in, in Shemona Perakim of Harambam, in source number three, Harambam will, interestingly, surprisingly, appreciate Gilui Arayot as a hawk, which uh, is a seeming contradiction both to what he's writing here Okay, that one I don't know that we'll be able to overcome. But as well to the first source, to the Gemara and Masechet Yoma, he'll even quote a rabbinic source, which seems to envision Gilui Arayot as a hawk. Uh, so which one is it? So Rabbi Samet suggests, again, it takes a lot more work on this to pinpoint when and how the Torah uses these words. But he says the Torah ambiguously, so to speak, uses them in context, telling us perhaps there's some multifaceted nature to this how to break that fully down, how to fully pinpoint exactly what that is, well, beyond the purview of... His time. In other words, it is a chok, and this is the time to the chok. I, I suppose it's doable. The only thing is, then what's the difference between hokim and mishpatim? His point is, but Harambam suggests there are. Hokim are more difficult to discern. Yes. So he's going to quote them. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you exactly what I, what I did with regards to this. In the last source, which I referred to you earlier, and now we gave up a lot of those last, later sources, which is fine. This last source, source number five, take a look at, um, at how he, he presents um, uh, that Gemara. Ele hakeruyim hokim. Uh, the circumstances which are known as hokim kigon shatnez ubasar bechalav v'sair mishdaleach. Those are the hokim. Asher hachachamim zal amru alhem v'mforash devarim shehakakti lechaven lecharishut laharhel bahen v'azatan mekatreg alhem v'motar lamishivin alhem. So he gave us a list of again shatnez, basar bechalav, and sair mishdaleach. That's kind of okay because that will, to a certain extent, link us up with the first source. The problem is that in this third source he quotes. Almost the same midrash with different words. Take a look. It's in Shemona Perakim. That's his introduction to Pirkei Avot, the second paragraph. I'm in the middle of the paragraph at the end of the line in the third line. Amru hokim shehakakti lechaven lecharishut laharer lebahem. Okay, hokim v'umot alav mishivim alehem v'asatam katreg alehem kegon paradumas ira mishdalech v'otan ashekrom sichliyot yikaru mitzvot 
Nah, where's the line? We want over here where he mentions as well. Oh, I, 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 I'm sorry. Okay, I went too far ahead. I'm sorry. And so forth. And Shimi'im is almost interchangeable with Hukim. What are they? Basar, Bahalav, Levishat, Sha'atnez. What's the next one? The Arayot. And then he calls from the Midrash. So he kind of lumps in Arayot as part of it. And it's. And it, it fits his conversation there, but it doesn't fit the, the larger conversation. Okay, how you resolve that, I don't know. I can tell you in Source 4, Rabbi Shilat suggests that maybe the way you resolve it is it, it depends on the distance of the relatives. If they're closer relatives, maybe it's more readily understandable. If they're more distant, right. it's, it's a valiant it's effort. Sure, sure. Sure, and it's more distant, more difficult to discern. That's his reading of it. Regardless, Harambam here, again, let's just make, make clear what he's doing for us in this Perik. What he's done for us thus far is set forth a reason, a rationale for Arayot, and it is quite clearly to distance you, not per se from these women, not per se from family and relatives, but from general overindulgence or too much involvement in sexual activity. Mishgal is uh, the word uh, in Hebrew that we're using over here. Ilu ayat din ha'irva, three lines from top here on 643. Kedin once these were now prohibited, and we are in turn uh, nervous about their involvement, Klomar, the Torah makes us nervous about involvement in these relations, Bemitat Betinu Bekaret, and it comes with the punishment of Mitat Betin and Karet, those are the highest of punishment of, uh, of penalties. And in turn, you're not allowed to have relations. Yesh Bitahon, there's a certain trust of the Torah. We won't in turn, or will less be, be less prone to involvement with them. In turn, less involvement in general. Um, that is very much his description. A little bit more in this paragraph. When a man is married to a woman, it's uh, well known that her mother, generally speaking, her grandmother, her daughter, her granddaughter, his sister, they'll be around a lot more often than... If he wasn't married to her, and in turn, he'll bump into them constantly. When he comes in, when he goes out, when he's involved in matters at home or otherwise. So to the woman will often meet the relatives, the brothers of her husband, Et Aviv, his father, Ve'et Beno, and his son, Ubarur, Shadam Matsui Larov, Im Ahyotav. And furthermore, men, people, are oftentimes, they grow up in the same home as their sisters, Ahayot Imo, their aunts, perhaps as well, Ahayot Aviv, their aunts from mother or father, Eshet Dodo, your aunt uh, through marriage, Umithanech Imahen, and he becomes educated, becomes grown up amongst them. Zebad Barur, Berov Hamikrim, Elehen, Kol Arayot. Harambam, in turn, elaborates on this point, uh, talks about uh, several of the arayot with regards to the specifics of how close they are, and in turn, how a person might um, 
mindful prey to um, uh, too, too much engagement and, uh, w- in relations with them. If you'll, and I think you have it, right? We have page 646. Why, Why can't you marry your mother? It's quite the same issue. What do you mean? No, because No, but you grew up with your mother in the home. Once you're permitted to your mother, it means in turn you will be involved in a more easy and seamless fashion with regards to those relations. He's asking a different point. He's saying, along Haramam's lines, just pick one. And that's it. Yeah. Commit yourself under the bound to bind whatever marriage. Now she's your wife. And, I mean... She's also your mother. Doesn't matter. Sister. Pick, pick your relatives. Sister. The point is, if you're picking one, you're still abiding by his message of, I'm going to distance myself by just restricting myself. Within the context of Jewish law, one person. But if you're limiting it to one person, what's the difference? Which one why, is? Why does the Halakha say? All well, those things are normalized, and all this is meaningless. Normalized is not from his issue. Because his issue is don't just hack it with the people around you. He's Alex saying yeah, yeah. is this. Pick one of those people, marry it, and then you're done. Yeah. No, no, then you don't matter, your sister. I got it. Why is it the No, I don't think so. I think that's what he addressed. No, but I think think the answer is he addressed that. He said that you grow up and are more... Um, and are more accustomed to and spend more time with your sisters than someone else, which means to say you will in turn be more comfortable and more prone to involvement and advancements with... You, you and I might not think that way. I don't think that way because we grew up in a world where that isn't something that would bring yeah, us to. That's that's what he suggests. And my mom also knew that if you married some, you know, other girl, well, think about it. How many she started for letting you do whatever you want. Cousins, cousins, everyone marries their cousin. Right. Because that's the first place you're allowed to Right. 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 And so in turn, you're... It will, as a matter of fact, le- okay, we'll, we'll see that claim in Ramban Nahmani, exactly. Okay, just a little bit more here in Harambam. He writes, That was the point I was making initially. It's interesting how he says, I'll tell you, Surah Arayot, it's entire matter. And he says, by the way, that was Inyan Ehad. Uh, I don't know why he phrases it like that. But that was it. Uh, but the other re- reason is, maybe it's because it's somewhat of a derivative. It, it's an outgrowth of some sort or connected to it. He says it's a, a healthy engagement, my words, with uh, shame. Uh, which means to say, and he goes on to detail this, he says, with regards to a family hierarchy, having some sort of hierarchical order with regards to, well, who is the matriarch and who are the people involved in this family, once we crossbreed it, once we, so to speak, break that down, we've lost a certain respect and honor for others, uh, for people who deserve that respect, for our general wherewithal, in life. That's a second suggestion. Why do I say maybe it's a derivative? Because again, it's, it's to a certain extent uh, in, in uh, uh, envisioning this, this engagement as not so much an inherent wrongful activity as much as the activity, uh, even in its permitted domain, is pro- problematic and in turn will be uh, something which will condition me to wrongful thoughts and, appro- and, and, and approaches of others and of life. Okay, but those are his two reasons 
since the primary one seems clear, it's to distance us from mishgal. It's to distance us from general sexual encounters and engagements. I want to now bring you to the last page I think that you have, and that is, or before that, yeah, let's go to the last page, uh, page 645. Page 645. Before that, 644. 644, the third paragraph. Ha'isur lavo this is a fascinating thing as well. Again, what's the similarity in terms of our conversation this week? Whereas last week, Tumah was to distance you from the Mikdash. Today, Arayot are to distance you from Mishkal. It's not per se that the action is wrong, that the reality is something. It's rather to distance you from something further. Tumah, in the eyes of Arambam, it's kind of a common denominator between the two. The Torah describes each of those as Tumah. Each of those don't have some sort of metaphysical poison. Instead, each of those are to imbue within you a proper engagement in life. He says now, and this is somewhat ironic for me, whereas when we talked... What's that? Okay, indeed, a different type. Um, whereas by Nida, if you recall in his conversation, he made the point, we even read some secondary sources with regards to this, that the Torah and the rabbis don't distance us from regular engagement with our wives when they're Nida. It's only beyond regular engagement. There are three activities the rabbis say are prohibited in addition to engagement in actual relations. And everything else, eating at the same table, spending time together, and so on, and so forth, those are never prohibited. Over here, ironically, he says, when it comes to, not so ironically, I mean, you'll understand why, the contrast, comes to Arayot, any engagement with them that steps over a fine line is prohibited, strictly and severely. For example, even looking at them in order to enjoy it, as he says we already addressed. Those are the contrast to there, where he talked about an appropriate engagement with your wife, and she happens to be Tameh, she happens to be Nida. Well, that's a purposeful involvement to bring forth a distance from the Mikdash. Over here, the Tumah is altogether different. Over here, the Tumah is to keep you away from sexual encounters. In turn, anything, even coming close to it, person is not to arouse himself, not allowed to arouse himself at any point with Arayot. If they unintentionally become aroused, we're commanded from the rabbis to get ourselves away from that arousal. The rabbis, in fact, gave advice for how to purify your mind. A fascinating thing. How to purify your mind. That's what this is all about, right? How they advise us. If you're encountered by this minuval, this disgusting one, bring him to the midrash. It's a reference to wrongful thought. That the whole conversation has been directed, and now he's exposing it toward rightful thought. In other words, if you read this until now, you may have said, without the introduction, without our initial conversation about it, there's something, even though it's not inherent with regards to these women, there's no poison in these women, well, maybe there's something poisonous about the involvement in sexual encounters. It's not even that. It's that the sexual encounters, in turn, have skewed your mind. You're looking to overcome that. Well, go purify your mind. 
mind, take yourself away from it so that you get involved in matters of truth. Go to the Ben Midrash. If you have any arousal, wrongful thoughts, go and study words of truth. That is very much the direction here with regards to understanding and appreciating the Isura Arayot according to Anambam. Hitbael midabero minuvalzev is a nivul endeve musal in pata Torah bilvad al davar kach gam be'inea philosophim. Says Harambam, the description is minuval, something that's disgusting. And in turn, finishing his conversation with regards to Torah for the moment, explicit words of Torah, explicit words of the rabbis, he says, you should know the philosophers are not too far from this concept. I already brought it to your attention. I already quoted for you Aristotle's words. He wrote, He described the sense, which is terrible and an embarrassment, shameful for us. He was referring to the sense of touching, feeling. Which brings you in turn to uh, preferring and being interested in eating. Uh, too much, and the sexual activity, too much. Aristotle, in turn, in his books, describes those who overdo or are too interested, are interested beyond the appropriate amount in food and sexual encounters. Nivzim, they're the low-level, shameful individuals. Aristotle, furthermore, the, the, puts them down, him and to make fun of them. Timsazot besivro ala midot, you'll find it in his ethics, or besivro ala rhetorica in his rhetorics. Uh, so that in turn is Harambam's words with regards to the Arayot. I want to just close this up um, to, to a certain extent by giving you the other side of the coin. We've tried to do that throughout. So Harambam has set forth a rationale, a reasoning for the Arayot. Now, the other angle, in other words, the other extreme of this sort of conversation would be to somehow pinpoint what's wrong about these women with, regard, women with regards to this relations. How and what are you going to come up with? We do know there's a certain societal taboo. Uh, we don't talk about it like that. What's that? He talked about a societal hierarchy, but at the same time, to this extent, coming to, was it your question or Mark's question, uh, to suggest that there was one that's chosen, it uh, doesn't per se break down a societal, hi- uh, a familial hierarchy. There could and would be circumstances, maybe where it would be appropriate, maybe where it would even build a sister. A sister is not per se higher in terms of hierarchy. Chesedi, the Torah, will even describe it uh, somewhat uh, cryptically. Uh, Ramban Nahmani, for that reason, critiques Harambam. Here in source number two in the source sheet, it's in his commentary right there in Vayikra, Perikot, Hayat Pasuk, Vav. He quotes both from Harambam and from Ibn Ezra, who has something along the same philosophical lines as Harambam, and he writes, Zeta'am halush This is a very weak reasoning. She hayev hakatuf kareta because and by extension Ibn Ezra, but Harambam, for our purpose, Harambam. Well, question number one. The Torah permits, I know we don't, I know we have takanot later on, but polygamy is permitted. So you can have many wives uh, imagine the involvement more with sexuality. Uh, what's, I know it's over, but it was a reality 
by the Torah, uh, a little bit of a mixed message. There's that type of question. What if it's just your daughter? In truth, you could make the argument that there's something logical about this because the Bnei Noach are also commanded, but Bnei Noach are not commanded with regards to daughters. And so that reason, there are conversations about Lot and his daughters. Was it per se? What about marrying two sisters? No, no, something existentially wrong. Um, not really. I don't think yes. so. Ki Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov did it. It didn't work out. <laughs> it never worked out. Right, I have heard this point made. I, I have heard this point made, yes. I have heard this point made, that you will find every time there are even two wives, as, as the point Davy is making. Polygamy in the Torah, the Torah has a, a, a silent polemic against polygamy. Not only sisters, but every time someone has two wives or two involvements, there's always fights, at least in Bereshit, which is where you find that. A good point, but again, why should it be permitted? If all these others are prohibited, so Ramban's question might be diminished, but it still stands. And here's that point, Norman, you were making earlier. What if you have your, your son and daughter and you can in turn build your estate? You keep it in the family, you strengthen. I know we don't branch out all that much, but we can really build tradition in such a way. As, as, Norman, as Norman said, what's that? Was that a bad thing? Sure. I, Norman pointed out in, in traditional communities, many, uh, not all, uh, there was a lot of marriage to uh, cousins. Why cousins? Because right when you're out of the prohibited realm, you went into that because we want to. True. All right. You know. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. This famous line of Ramban, it happens to be, he writes, we don't have a uh, received tradition on this matter. He's referring, and he'll say in a moment, as to why the Arayota prohibited. Um, what he will say is, it's a mystical, uh, mysterious reason. Mm, he'll get even more than Hulk. He'll say it's a mystical, mysterious reason. Or it's Kabbalistic, if that's a word that will touch you more. Yes, a Hulk to a certain extent, but something you can get to this one. You just got to be involved in the world of you know, mystical traditions. It's interesting he does write those words. This is a point that on a completely different conversation should be addressed. And that is, I think, Moshe Idel in one of his articles brings, brings this line. And was Ramban will, in many places in commentary to the Torah, have these mystical interpretations. Where did he come up with those? These words are very significant. He seems to be telling us with this, I don't have a received tradition for this. He's perhaps suggesting that many of the other suggestions he heard from somewhere. He had some, so this was not something that he, so to speak, pulled out of thin air. That was a separate conversation. He writes, I don't have an accepted tradition. It's aval kefiha sevara. He says, but logically speaking, yesh ba'inyan sod. There is a secret. Mi sodota yesira, having to do with the craftsmanship. Uh, that word yesira, we even have sefer yesira, the Gemara will refer to. It's somewhat of a mystical book. The rabbis envisioned it as being a really ancient book. Davuk banefesh, it's somehow connected to the soul. In several places, Ramban talks about sod ha'ibur, something having to do with familial relations. Again, whatever it means, I'm not purporting to know. He's telling us he doesn't really know. He is suggesting without being able to pinpoint it, there is something of essence here. There's something wrong that's taking place in that engagement. Go ahead. We, 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 I mean, he, they may have had 
enough observation to see. You're going to say health. Genetic. Yeah. Genetics. Is that so? A, did they? And, and B, Ramban Nachman is not really saying that. In other words, you think that's what the sword is here? It's a, is the formation of in the physical sense? Hard sell. is about the creation of the physical world. So With letters. With letters. Right. Letters could be representative of True. Elements. True. But again, he's trying, he's trying to pinpoint an underlying, it seems. He does go further and he does say, listen, it's clear that the Torah distances us from general relations unless it's for purposeful reproduction. And in turn, he's kind of implying homosexuality and bestiality and that sort of, and er and onan type of activity. And in turn, if it's not going to be a successful engagement, the Torah will tell you, you shouldn't be involved with it. He concludes, Miklal, there's the word you're looking for, Ali. Hachukim. He does. He chalks it up to Hukim. Devarim shem gezerat melech. They're a decree of the king, meaning God. This is a matter which was thought about, so to speak, by God. Of course, God has the wisdom in uh, being monarch uh, over his kingdom. Only those who are close in terms of his advisors and those he speaks with, so to speak, will know this reason. Ramban Nachmani, though, clearly, A, does have a critique on Harambam. There's no questioning that. But we couldn't have... Not true. We wouldn't have imagined he was going to accept such a pragmatic approach as Harambam's. Ramban Nachmani has made clear to us in many, if not all, of our conversations that his general depiction, vision, and description of Torah, mitzvot, direction, is actions prescribed because there's something of essence in that. This action will existentially affect something, someone. Harambam has distanced us from that time and again. What seems to develop a little bit further in this chapter specifically is where he brought us into, and that's why I introduced it this way, it jogs my memory that we haven't enough stressed this. He reminded us of, you know, kind of the ultimate purpose in his mind. He described that Midrash where he talked about if Midrash. Why is he talking about that in this context? Because he's reminding us that the purpose with regards to all these matters is to refine ourselves, which in turn means that we have the capacity, the ability, the will to in turn refine our thoughts as well. That's very much his direction, and as a result, much, if not all, almost all of mitzvot Torah, kedushav the Torah, even the Tuman Taharav, the Torah will be pragmatic, will be practical in nature. It will be purposeful to empower you and me too grow as human beings, which is described as, well, bring it back to our origins, emet and shaker perspectives, conceptions of truth, being able to refine our thought, bringing ourselves to prophecy, so to speak, having true prayer, contemplation, and connectedness. That will be our direction. Ramban Nachmani in an altogether different perspective. Ramban Nachmani being the more popular in today's day and age, and for quite some time type of approach, will not accept such a notion. Again, he has a particular and specific critique but he needs to fall out with something in terms of what's wrong with these particular actions. And what does he resolve himself with? 
I'm not certain, but there is something. Right? Words, that's what he comes up with. It's very difficult to pinpoint this one. If you turn to um, natural and health reality and genetics, I think you've solved it. I don't know if he had that, per se. I don't think he would have been uh, opposed to such a notion. It can't be, because you have unrelated people that are Right. Agreed. You'll have agreed. Those will the ones that have an easier logic. They'll be different. I mean, I, I don't think that would be per se a difficulty. Harambam is, uh, as a matter of fact, not saying, and he made this clear even in this chapter that nida is the same thing as well. Nida is your wife, after all. It's rather a separate issue, which we kind of addressed last week. But again, I think this doesn't necessarily bring us a step forward. But that description, the way Harambam carefully crafted his direction over here by bringing us back to kind of the underlying concept, the direction, the thread that's running through this. It's not just that it's not matters of essence. It's more than that. It's not matters of essence because the purpose of this all is not just to do activities. The purpose of this all is not just to follow mandates. It's to come to something in our own minds, in our own perceptions, in our own accomplishments. Baruch Adonai